if your shoe sole has not seen some wear and tear, you haven't done your job as a new MBA student. And that's not in a rhetorical way. You need to go and spend some time talking to the people who can give you life's advice and they're willing to do it. Smarter are those who learn from their own mistakes. Smarter are those who learn from others' mistakes. Welcome to the MBA Jam Podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of the MBA Jam. Avinash here once again. Today, we are talking to someone who has possibly one of the most impressive career trajectories I have seen. Today, we are talking to Raj Mukherjee. I first came across Raj when I attended Startup Grind in London a few weeks ago, where Raj gave a talk on how there's a massive talent shortage in the tech industry and how USA alone will need over a million developers in the next three to five years. Raj has done engineering in computer science and has earned joint MBA from Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley and Columbia Business School. Raj's career has transitioned from being a product manager at Microsoft, where he was working on the online services division, following which he worked on the enterprise platform team at Google, leading the product management for domains for Google Apps and Google Drive for enterprises. Going on from there, Raj joined GoDaddy as a senior vice president of product and was responsible for helping their 14 million customers build successful businesses online. Currently, Raj works as senior vice president of product at Indeed, one of the most well-known job search sites in the world. In this role, he leads the day-to-day operations of the global product team, growing the core products and drives new product innovation. However, along the way, Raj has also invested in and mentored several early-stage companies such as Find Yaha, that was acquired by Zimber in India, Mosex Tech, where he also, where, which is also based in India. And he's also an advisor at Flock, a customer loyalty platform based in the Bay Area. Okay, I think I need to stop talking and welcome Raj to the show. Raj, welcome to the show. Thank you, Avinash. Thank you very much for having me today. No problem at all. Raj, can you please describe your journey in your own words and fill any gaps in my introduction? I think you did a better job than I could possibly do in describing myself. I'll just say that I'm not, my background is not that impressive. I'm sure there are lots of other people who have great backgrounds and who will have great backgrounds. Uh, Maybe one or two things to add at the very beginning. Uh, Look, I was an engineer, wrote code for a while then decided my passion lay in product management, uh, went into product management, learned the ropes of product management, and uh, took a very non-traditional turn and went into product marketing and the marketing world. Uh, For many in the tech world, that would be considered going into the other side. Uh, But I felt that was important to build the skills of general management. Uh, Then uh, eventually was running a pretty substantially large business inside GoDaddy and then joined Indeed, where I run, as you said, a mix of new businesses and traditional pro- uh, the product team, which includes product and UX. Uh, net of it, there is no one traditional path to getting to where you want in your life. Uh, just be humble enough that you don't know everything, learn every day, and I'm sure there'll be a path to getting to where your passion lies. Yeah, no, absolutely. Very, very, very rightly said. What, what, motivated you to move away from engineering into something else did you have aspirations of you know being being like a rock star engineer you know the developer that you that you um, talk about a lot nowadays you know it's it's a great question i mean i i I historically like to think that you need to play to your strengths Uh, a lot of people focus on their weaknesses and try to overcome their weaknesses and i'll get to your question in a second Uh, my strength really was understanding how customers value a product. And I realized it after a couple of years in engineering, that was where my core competency lay. And uh, one day and a fine, nice afternoon in Redmond, which you don't have that many days, but uh, just Redmond, Washington usually has a cloudy weather. Uh, but he just grabbed me and he said, hey, why don't we go out, we'll chat. And he took me outside, uh, had a conversation, and he was talking about some of the things that I was good at. And it kind of triggered uh, uh, call it a self-reflection where I said, you know, this guy, he took some time off, talked to me about some of my strengths. I should be doing that self-reflection myself. 
and try to understand where exactly my passion lies. And I spent about three months really thinking through and realized uh, what I wanted to do ultimately, my deep uh, insight about myself was I love spending time with customers. I love building products that genuinely change their lives. And that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And engineering certainly gives you some of that, but you're too deep into writing code and not necessarily spending as much time in understanding the business problem and connecting the dots. And so that decision or insight led me to move into product management and then the rest is history. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, so how long back was this? Because um, the reason I ask is because product management sometimes feels like it's a new field in itself. Uh, I'm pretty sure it must have been newer back then. It was. I mean, you're dating me now. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it, this is... Uh, we're talking about more than a decade back. Uh, I'm talking about mid-2005, uh, like early 2006 timeframe. Uh, so qu- quite a few years back. And uh, while product management is a relatively new discipline in the world of technology, it has been around for a while, though. I mean, if you think about uh, even companies like Intel had product line managers who would be responsible for a particular product line. And this is many, many years back. Um, in Microsoft, program manager or product manager, which is basically the equivalent in Microsoft, that has existed since the early 90s, uh, if not earlier. Uh, So it's not like this is a new discipline in that sense. It has been around. Uh, I think archetypically what people say, product manager is the general manager of a product. Uh, There's a lot of definitions of of it. But broadly, product management, the way I see this discipline is ultimately this person is responsible for making sure that a customer sees value in what we build. Because otherwise, the whole, like call it the whole uh, concept of product management becomes wishy-washy. It's like you need to be at the center of determining what is valuable to the customer and delivering that value in the hands of the customers as fast as possible, much faster than anyone else can. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Um, because I, 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 I read somewhere that um, Actually, actually, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, because, you know, even in companies which don't have product managers, somebody is doing product management <laughs> in those companies. Right. Sometimes it's a CEO, which is more often right. than not. You know, when you look at young companies, um, sometimes it's the project managers who do a lot of product management. Sometimes it's the UX UI guys. Sometimes it's the customer success team, uh, mm-hmm. or the support team. So yeah, I think I think you're right. A discipline. In in in, it, in its core is not new, but the title is new in in that sense, and maybe the process of getting into product management is slightly new. Yeah, you're pretty right. Pretty right, and I think one of the things that you are touching upon is there is no traditional path to get into product management. Right, you could get uh, you could get a degree out of school and get into product management. You could be an engineer. You could get into product management. You could come from sales or customer success and get into product management. So many roads lead to product management. Uh, and I just gave a couple of examples. That's not exhaustive by any means. Uh, but broadly, I think there, it's not like it's a one-size-fits-all profession. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Because uh, I've, I've spoken on the show many times. And to be honest, maybe because I'm in product management, I'm, I'm, I'm attracting <laughs> uh, people from product management. I've had quite a few product managers come on the show. And it's, it's, it's similar stories. You know, if you look at it, everyone has come from different backgrounds. I think that, that's what even makes it more fascinating. Absolutely. Uh, again, I, I'm biased by definition because I that's where I have found my passion. But broadly, I see everything in the world in some fashion as a, at the core mission of what product management does. I mean, what are you if you're not delivering customer value? Yeah. Why Why does your job exist at all? So that that is, I know it's rhetorical, but to me, I think if you're not doing anything that helps your customers and drives value for the business, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely right. So, so Raj, of course, you know, you've had some great uh, insights. You have some great insights on the job market, you know, working from Indeed. And the last time I heard you speak, you had an awesome presentation where you're explaining more about the job market. What I wanted to understand is, what are some of your key insights that apply to MBA? 
students uh, regarding the job market have you I know you you spoke a lot about tech and developers but do you have any key insights from your experience of you know MB in, in the MBA realm of things uh, we have tons of experience and tons of data we have uh, not published anything specifically on the MBA vertical uh, but I think broadly think about it as anytime you're building a new set of skill sets that enables you to open doors in different industries, that's a good thing for you. And especially in a world, like the way I think of MBA, it's a very generalist degree. Right? People say I have specialized in finance or specialized in marketing, but broadly you're getting a set of business skills. You're learning a new language of the business. And that is fundamentally a very valuable skill to have. No matter where you are in your life, what you are doing, you have to tie it back to ultimately some sort of a return on investment that investors, and investors could be internal or external, that they will expect. So the basics of how do I understand uh, accounting statement, the basics of how do I think about a marketing campaign ROI, or the basics of how do I think about an operations pipeline and what things move and what things don't, those things you will always have with you. And I think that's what I would expect a new freshly minted MBA grad to focus on. Like the fundamental skill sets that they have, they should be very confident about those things. And they should have spent the time building a very strong network. And a network not on, again, there are a lot of social networks out there. I'm very aware of them as you are, and they are important. Uh, but I think the more important part is actually the offline network. And going in, and uh, there's a saying, and it still exists, um, if you're uh, if your shoe sole has not seen some wear and tear, you haven't done your job as a new MBA student. And that's not in a rhetorical way. You need to go and spend some time talking to the people who can give you life's advice and they're willing to do it. Uh, and at a very critical juncture where you're probably either going to transition into something new because you're going to use your MBA degree to change your career, or even if you're staying in your current career trajectory, you're probably going to leverage the skill sets of people who have charted that path and learn from them. Uh, so I think from my perspective, the way I would describe MBA is an awesome degree to have, uh, and it is something that should be at the inflection point of someone's career. And they should use it to either determine if they want to continue in the current path or decide to move into something else that makes, uh, quite frankly, logical sense for them. Right, right. So what, what were your thoughts when you were going to your MBA? Because, you know, before you did your MBA, you, you I think I think you got into product management and I think you were working in Microsoft before that as well, right? And after right. that also your career has um, gone on to much more leadership roles in the case of product. So uh, what were some of your thoughts when you actually went into the MBA? What were your goals? I wanted a few things that I had experienced uh, while I made a shift into marketing. So when I when I was at Microsoft, I moved into product marketing without an MBA. Traditionally, most people at Microsoft who are in product marketing or in marketing in general, they come from top tier business schools. Mm. And so when I went in there, uh, there were lots of things that they had already taken for granted, meaning people who were in that role, they had already taken for granted as learnings, which I didn't have. And I'm not saying that it wasn't um, it wasn't possible to contribute without the MBA. There are people who have been able to be successful in those same roles without an MBA, uh, but I think it certainly helped. And so one of my key things was, can I learn this language? It's almost like if you are, let's say you're going to go to a country where they speak Spanish and yeah, you can pick up Spanish by talking to a lot of people, but what if you had a formal class that also fast-tracked you to learn stuff? And so certainly that was a key part of a con or a key consideration as I was looking at different business schools. The second part was, look, I mean, it, the United States still was a foreign country for me. I mean, I had my immigrated to that country. I still wasn't well-rooted in the sense that I didn't have a deep network that would help me connect the dots appropriately if I wanted to know about something or if I wanted to go from one place to another. And so this was a unique opportunity to just look at how do I build and nurture that network that I don't have at that point in time. Uh, that was another big key focus. And finally, the other key focus that I would say uh, actually influenced my selection of schools as well was a balance of finance and tech. And I had this thinking, and I think it still stands, that if you want to be a successful technology leader, you need to understand finance very well, and you need to have a good balanced perspective 
of how you're driving investor returns with customer returns. And that, to me, uh, needed me to go in and not just learn skills that are traditionally applicable to all MBA programs, but more specifically to Berkeley, Columbia, which if you think about Berkeley on the West Coast and Columbia on the East Coast, Columbia being at the heart center of New York, Berkeley being the heart center of Silicon Valley, uh, you're essentially learning from the very best schools in the world and combining the two sides of what is required to be a successful general manager in technology. Wow, I mean, to be honest, that that is probably the best line I've ever heard. Uh, as as an MBA, you do need to understand finance really well, and the combination of investor returns and customer returns. Um, yeah, that that is pretty unique. <laughs> um, and and you mentioned the combination of Berkeley and Columbia. So it looks like you had done a lot of homework before you went into the MBA, not trying to suggest that others don't do. I mean, just to speak about myself, I did a lot of homework, but not to the mm-hmm. extent to which I, I guess you had done. So what what made you this much conscious of what you're trying to get out of it? Look, let's be very clear. I'm going to spend a whole lot of money, a whole lot of time away from a very young kid uh, with my wife definitely not being happy about it. Uh, So, uh, like, time is money, right? So if you're going to do that, you better be sure that this investment is worth it. And, uh, I mean, again, I like everything else, I mean, I had a great saying uh, from one of my ex-managers uh, she used to say that you can have everything in life, you just can't have everything at all, all at one time, point in time. Uh, it just won't happen. So you have to make trade-offs. And I know a lot of people talk about work-life balance, and that's important, very important. But at some point, you've got to prioritize things appropriately. And for me, if I'm going to prioritize spending time away from my family, spending a lot of money in getting an education that I consider valuable, I better be sure that this is worth it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think you've really live the life of a product manager because if not trade-offs what is a life huh? <laughs> <laughs> that is very true life is about trade-offs and uh, sometimes they're obvious sometimes they you have to just poke the bear and find it out yeah <laughs> exactly exactly to be to be honest that's what i'm trying i've been trying to you know have a kind of understanding with my wife for a few years she's never gotten that bit but recently she finished her MBA last year and and now she's looking for a product management job and she's like now I understand why you kept seeing trade-offs and priorities and this and that I'm like how welcome to the board (laughs) Uh, I think uh, that's why I keep saying product management is one of the most fascinating jobs in the industry Uh, again as I said I'm biased but (laughs) it forces you to make conscious choices about what matters and what doesn't yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, Saraj, you've, you've transitioned, um, you know, you know, extremely well from very popular consumer companies, you know, Microsoft, Google, GoDaddy, and now Indeed. Have you have you ever gotten inspired to either join a young company or a startup? Yeah, many times. I mean, I think uh, I have contemplated starting my own thing for quite a few years now, and uh, quite frankly, haven't made the jump. Uh, for no particular reason other than there has been interesting opportunities that I've found myself getting attracted to. Uh, that seemed more interesting than starting my own thing. Uh, but as I say, you're, you're never too old to start your own startup, but there is a certain point in time where you may not be as uh, successful just because your energy level may not be quite there. So uh, maybe, maybe at some point, uh, the balance of that, call it, desire to start my own thing and the energy level, both of them will coincide and I'll end up starting something on my own. Uh, But less so on the joining an early stage startup, I actually do feel uh, if I went the entrepreneurial uh, route, I'll do it myself. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Because that was my next question. (laughs) Have you ever considered starting your own business uh, along those lines? I mean, is is that is that the reason why you have actually invested and and you're mentoring and spending time and effort with some early stage companies uh, like the ones I mentioned earlier in the show? A couple of them in India and one of them in the US. Is is it because you want to be in touch with some young companies that are coming up? I do, and I do get pain from time to time by either my venture capitalist friends or by 
people who actually know me and they will come and say, okay, we want to organize our product management team. How should we think about it? Or typically think about the way this conversation breaks down is if you're very early, you're you're looking for general advice on the business itself and feedback on the idea, whether that's a sound idea and how you should execute to get to even that first initial breaking point where you can go and raise your seed stage in many cases because you are even investing your own friends and family money. Right, so uh, that is one stage that I enjoy quite a bit because it's idea validation, and uh, quite frankly, I get to do a lot of that inside of Indeed as well because we have a um, approach to call it incubating new businesses inside Indeed, and we are rolling some of that stuff out in the company right now. And uh, that combination of both, call it internal incubation and external incubation, I love that. Uh, then there is a second stage, like companies which are um, more successful in getting initial product market fit, and they're looking to scale. And at that point in time, they're looking to build a team. And I oftentimes get tapped into helping them think through, especially if you're a founder, you have not run product management teams, or you're not run any large size teams, and you're growing and you're hiring 10 people. And you might say, oh, what's the big deal about hiring 10 people? But for a company that's the size of 10 or 15 people, 10 people is materially jumping and doubling that size. So they're oftentimes looking at advice on how do I get from that stage where I'm really small to becoming a little bit bigger, and there are some conversations that happen in that stage. And then uh, slightly even bigger stage companies, uh, they're oftentimes looking to formalize their product management teams, and I'm sometimes tapped in for those conversations. So short answer to your question, I love investing as a side hobby. It's not my professional uh, hat that I use to invest, but and I'm not looking for any particular type of companies to invest in, but if something comes my way that I find interesting, I just do that. It's my, uh, in lieu of spending all my energy in doing that, uh, I would just spend maybe a little bit of my money in doing that. Uh, and I think the other way to think about it is giving back to the community is the only way uh, that this community thrives and uh, it's, it's actually applicable to an MBA community. It's as much applicable to the startup community. The only way this gets better for everyone is if people who are at a position to help others, they help. And I, I obviously don't know all the answers, but in whatever way I can help, I try to help. And I also reach out to people when I don't know the answers and try to get their help. Yeah, yeah, no, ex- ex- extremely valuable points. Um I was going to ask something, but I completely forgot because another point distracted me. Uh, is is that why you're on? Uh, I was really curious, you know, because when I told you about the show, and you pretty much readily agreed, and um, you know, there have been some people who have readily agreed to come on the show. There have been some who just haven't accepted to come on the show yet. And you talk about giving back. To be honest, that's the reason I even started the show because I felt the compelling need to give back is is that why you have accepted to come on the show what what are you hoping that you know someone who's listening to the show will be able to take away from it well i mean there are a couple of things in life that experience teaches you and if you can even help other people map that appropriately and learn from your own experience that would be beneficial to them that's the way i look at it i mean it's a it's the simplest way of giving back is to give your time to people who may be able to leverage that and either understand what made certain things work for you or what made certain things not work for you and not repeat the same mistakes. I mean, uh, there's a saying that smart are those who learn from their own mistakes, smarter are those who learn from others' mistakes. So... <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yes, I remember the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> um, this trend of, you know, big companies um, doing or operating in a very, very entrepreneurial environment or in a way or very, very, uh, you know, even in big companies, you talk about building products in the most scrappy way possible to begin with and the concept of MVPs and the concept of lean ways of working. Has this trend of big companies working in a very, um, young kind of a way surprised you or is this something that you know you you accepted that this is exactly how big companies can survive because they have to start working like how these young startups are working so look I mean young startups will always have the advantage of agility and they are small enough that I mean again as a company grows in size there is some communication overhead 
there are some challenges that you have to overcome. And we can go into that in a second. But broadly, uh, when you think about the competitive advantage that big companies have are either they have much better financial situation or they have economies of scale or economies of scope. And a certain amount of technology, uh, when uh, like call it prowess, uh, whether it be through the data that they have collected about a wide set of things, if you're an internet company or if you're a, I call it every company is a software company. So whether you're a software company. And so they have collected a ton of data a while off obviously respecting the privacy of their users, but they have that heft. And if they have that, if you're slow to execute on your advantage, somebody will come in and eat your lunch. It's just going to happen. I mean, you cannot sit on your laurels and expect that, oh, I'm going to take six months to plan something and then another six months to execute and then maybe another six months later, I'll get customer feedback and that is how I'll ship. Um, and I had, I had seen Microsoft move from being a, call it, a older way of doing things where they would ship every three years and they would take a long time to understand stuff. But to their credit, they have transformed themselves. And uh, I think very few companies understand how much of a transformation Microsoft went through. And I fundamentally believe the company is where it is today, uh, partly because they were able to adapt to the new way of doing things. And I bring them up as an example of a company that understood where they were and things were not as good as they should be. And they changed that before really the worst things could happen to that company. Many others have not been able to follow suit. And they have been in, they are in the uh, history books as case studies for things that shouldn't be done. Uh, but specifically to Indeed, which I'm actually very proud of this company because they are still very small compared to some of the names that I'm um, talking about, specifically like companies like Microsoft. Uh, but Indeed, while it's small, it has grown and become a market leader in the job search space. And it has been able to maintain that agility, that focus on customers, and move very fast. And the whole company, I mean, it's very interesting. Uh, this was one of the things that attracted me to join Indeed. It's completely data-driven. Like, it doesn't matter whether the CEO is saying something or an engineer, line-level engineer is saying something. What data have you brought in? And how can you validate your hypothesis? That's at the core of this company. No one, no one, no single person's opinion matters more than other person's opinion because opinions are not valuable. What's valuable is what insight have you brought in through what data that you've collected. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really inspiring, you know, to hear you say that because, um, uh, again, this is just my personal opinion. Um, you know, I, I've been in product management for a while now. And if anyone asked me, hey, would you want to join a company of the size of Indeed, of the size of Microsoft, as you described at the moment, I would have said, no, absolutely no way because I think that these companies are so big that there will be very little, um, you know, right, there'll be very little data-driven measurement way of thinking, or there'll be very little scrappy ways of doing things, there'll be very little initiatives that, that people can possibly take in these companies. Um, looks like that's that's not the case anymore. No, it's not. I mean, uh, specific, specifically with Indeed, uh, I think... We firmly believe in empowering every single person, more specifically, every single person in engineering and product to think about how they can meaningfully influence the customer impact. And to me, I think at the end of the day, uh, great companies are built through great culture that you instill inside the company. They're not built by great balance sheet or uh, call it huge amounts of huge treasure troves of data that you might have. If your culture is not great, and we're going into something that's very, very important. Uh, ultimately, you will uh, get eaten by someone else who is able to understand how to respond better to customer needs. So we take this extremely seriously at Indeed. Uh, our culture starts with actually one thing that I, I should mention. Our culture starts with this innate focus on what we call focus on job seekers. And we say that because at the core of our company, I mean, if you look at our industry, there has been many success stories in the past, and but they have all disappeared with time because they've not been able to focus on the core simple strategy, which is if you do the right thing for job seekers, the people who are coming in and looking for jobs, then ultimately your strategic advantage will go away. You have to think about the people you're serving most, which is the people who are coming to you and looking for their next best opportunity. Yeah. 
yeah no absolutely absolutely fair point now you know a point that's very much connected to that is and this is a very controversial topic as well um what is your view of you know the perception of mbas in tech companies or in startups <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know where i'm going with this <laughs> oh, i know i know uh, there are many schools of thought at least there are two very divergent schools of thought uh, and a lot of people will say, look, I mean, you should just go and start a startup. A startup is an MBA. And there is some truth to it. Uh, actually, if you can successfully execute on a startup, scale it to a certain level, uh, through many things that you learn in that process, you will get a mini MBA. There are many things that you will learn. But uh, I think if you are at a stage in your life where you are able to invest a couple of years and a reasonable sum of money, you will be better off, as I said, learn from others' mistakes learn from all the things that already exist out there from very professionally trained teachers and from the peer group that you will have. That's the one thing people don't understand. You learn more from an MBA class than you learn from your professors. Your professors are facilitators. They will teach you the course materials and they'll guide you appropriately. But the class that you'll be part of, particularly the group that you will be part of, and whether it's a case-based learning or whether it's just uh, like call it lecture-based learning, doesn't matter. Uh, but I, I personally prefer case-based learning more than lecture-based learning. And quite frankly, as you're trying to solve these real-life cases, you are, in many ways, building many businesses. And it's critical as you do that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's where I come from. I, I think an MBA is very valuable if you don't have the time, if you really want to jump into the business ship and... You, have, you want to learn what it is, then to go do a startup right away, that's fine. But you may be it may be beneficial for you to go in and take the strategy of getting an MBA uh, before you do any of, the, uh, any of your own, uh, call it, large-scale startup ideas and pitch it. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great point. And, you know, you've been a massive proponent of, you know, learning from others as as much as possible um, and that actually brings me to a point I was really curious of how did you manage to do a joint MBA had Berkeley Haas and Columbia is that common it there are some programs that have joint programs uh, like I think Kellogg has a joint program with I think with Hong Kong University if I'm not mistaken um, there are a couple of joint programs there are not that many uh, the Berkeley Columbia one was a very interesting one because it, again, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but at that time when I was applying, uh, I had looked at Wharton, I had looked at Kellogg, I had looked at Berkeley Columbia. I personally felt that that combination of East Coast and West Coast in the United States would give me the right blend of alumni network, would also give me the right blend of the type of class I'll be part of. Again, learning more from peers versus learning from, from uh, like is a critical part. Like, how would you do that? And I think that would have been, uh, that wouldn't have been possible in other scenarios. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That That is really interesting because both are, you know, very, very highly reputed schools. Um, I guess, I guess there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, overlap between the two, but I guess they also bring a lot of distinct cultures of their own, right? Yeah, they do. I mean, Berkeley is far more entrepreneurial focused, right? And it is uh, also a school that being close to Silicon Valley allows you to go and, like it's like 45 minutes to an hour uh, max to go and uh, pitch your idea in Sandal Road if you really had a great idea that you wanted to test. Uh, or if you wanted to go to San Francisco, now that's the hotbed of everything. You could go there and you could do whatever you needed to do, right? So I think one of the things that I personally felt much more comfortable with that combination was you would learn from a Wall Street awesome guy who actually knows financial modeling better than anyone else and has taken many companies public. In the same vein, you would also learn from people who are investing in very early stage companies or who are working in very early stage companies or maybe having their own companies and how they have bootstrapped that. That combination is very rare in other, other programs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had people, you know, on the show who are either from Columbia or from Berkeley. You're the first one who's actually in a combination of two. Now, you know, n looking back, 
if you had to make a choice between Berkeley and Columbia because you have been to both, what do you think are the strengths of both the schools and what do you think are the weaknesses of both the schools? Now you're putting me in a spot. I think I'll get Sorry. train bills if I... <laughs> uh, I think I would say, like, Berkeley, the, the biggest strength Berkeley has is its focus on new businesses and tech. And it is, it's not just, hey, you know, I mean, it's got one of the best engineering schools in the world, right? So it, and it is five minutes away. So you can walk down and you can get an engineer, engineering co-founder if you're looking to start your own thing. These are rare things. Uh, whereas, whereas, uh, uh, like Colombia, on the other hand, if you think about what biggest strength it has, it is its proximity to Wall Street allows you to have like a set of people that will be in your network that should you ever be successful in getting to a stage where your company is doing well in the tech world and you need to tap into some people who can help you guide as to valuations of your company or what the public market might perceive it to be, you have an immediate access to the very best in the world. And that's, I'm speaking mainly as a tech guy. Not, I'm putting on my hat as the relative strengths and weaknesses as a tech guy, right? So uh, there may be a completely different lens for someone who is coming across as, hey, I want to join a marketing career path or I want to join a finance career path, different career paths. Uh, but from a tech perspective, I think Berkeley has a unique advantage in entrepreneurship. Columbia has a very unique uh, advantage in teaching you both the basics and also the very advanced materials around finance and valuation. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Have you have you managed to keep in touch with some of the people that you actually studied with? Some people. Uh, I would be the first to say that I'm probably not as great in keeping in touch with many of them as I should be. Uh, I think some of it is my schedule around traveling has been pretty intense over the last few years. Uh, whether at GoDaddy or whether here, I've been traveling quite a bit. So haven't had as much opportunity uh, to keep in touch with them. But on and off, we will email each other. And uh, sometimes some people will just call me on the weekends and we'll catch up a little bit. Uh, so and I'm, like the way I look at it is if they needed my help, I'm always here. And if I needed their help, I, they know that I'll call upon them and they will. I'm pretty sure they will help me. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Now, you know, on the on the other side, um, knowing what you know now, you know, after many years, uh, not many, after a few years of finishing your MBA and after, you know, being in some of the leadership roles you've been in, is there anything you would have done differently back then when you were making some of these key decisions at different points of your life? No, that's a interesting question. As I reflect back, you know, I would say that I, number one, I wish I had done it a little earlier. And I say that because the later you do an MBA, the less time you have to really leverage your MBA. And I still did it at a relatively young age. But I encourage everyone, if you want to do it, do it sooner than later. And the second thing that I encourage people to think about is people spend a lot of time learning the skills in classroom. And this probably will get me in trouble with uh, my professors. Uh, but... I actually think the real value lies in spending time with your cohort and in networking. And networking, not for just the heck of it, but actually getting to know them and understanding what values and insights they are bringing in. Because somebody may be a sales leader in a very large Fortune 500 company. Somebody may be a founder in a very small startup. Somebody may be a marketing leader in a large consumer, like uh, like a PNG kind of a company. Uh, so you have some of the very best people that you can learn from in your cohort while having food or drinks or whatever the setting might be, and you won't get that. And it's, it's really undiluted feedback. Like think about it as they will go in and they'll share stuff that they will never share with anyone else in any other context. And you cannot get that. So I would heavily encourage people to prioritize that over any bookish learning that you might have Certainly do your stuff that needs to be done to get your grades, uh, but that is not the core focus of an MBA. The core focus of an MBA is to learn things that are, quite frankly, unlearnable in other situations. 
Yeah, it's 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 really funny you say that. I guess I guess MBA is one of those degrees that you know you can have a perspective, and I I still feel that it is something that people maybe in the future can leverage with multiple points in their career rather than just as a one big shot bang. Because for example, in my case, I did my MBA just four years after I even finished my undergraduate, and looking back, I wish I would have done a lot later. than I did when I did because a couple of reasons some of them you highlighted yourself right so when I was going into my MBA I definitely I mean hand on heart I did not go in with that much of conscious thought as much as I believe you went in with in fact I went in I was having a lot of fun it was a different country for me as well Uh, it it was in London so I was having a lot of fun and, and one year just passed by in no time uh, and I got into product management only really after that. And now that I've been in this field for so long, I wish I could go back because now I know exactly what I want to get out of it. But I can't go back. It's 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 a massive investment that I've already made in the past. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, as I say, the grass is always greener on the other side. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, I think there is there is a sweet spot though. There is a certain amount of like you don't want to get so far down in your career path that the value of an MBA is not going to be as high as it needs to be for you to justify both time away from whatever you're doing and the investment cost of getting into the MBA. So you need to find that right balance. Uh, And while I am saying that, hey, I should have probably done it a couple of years earlier, you're saying I maybe should have done a couple of years later. I think both of us have a point. You need to find the right time period in your life such that you can maximize return on investment on the MBA. Yes, I guess I guess to her, whoever listening, you know, to the show, I think I think the important point may not even be the the X number of years. I think the important point may be in the thought process, right? If you're able to get the thought process a lot sooner, then you know probably that is the best of both worlds because you have a more mature thought process, but you're doing it such that you can leverage a lot in the future. Maybe I don't know. It's a guess. <laughs> Maybe. I think you have a point there. And I think there is certainly the self-reflection and thought process that somebody has to go through, decide what level of maturity they have in their thinking, and more importantly, what do you want to get out of the MBA, right? So you have to understand why you want to do the MBA. It will be very clear on how you want to balance your life during the MBA. And I think the other thing that I would really push everyone to think about is, great, you came in with a certain set of insights around what you want to get out of the MBA and how to balance. How would you adapt? Adaptability is one of the core skill sets that I think differentiates successful people at MBA versus the not so successful people. So you also need to have a plan for adaptability. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely agreed. In fact, in fact, this just brings me to a very close comparison. You know, when when people are looking at getting funding for their business, again, there are two schools of thought, right? There is a Reed Hoffman school of thought, which is like take as much money as you can, and then there's the other school of thought, which is take as less money from investors as you can. So, it just reminded me that it's it's that dilemma where you have to make the best decision that suits your purpose rather than taking. Gen- generic advice from everywhere. Absolutely. And that's why I think listening to people who might trigger a thought for you is so important because you don't want to, you want to go there with your eyes open. And some of the things that you have to ultimately do is customize this advice for your situation and see if there is a clear connection. And if there is, then you know what the answers might look like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Raj, one question I had was, you know, Right now, you know, again, knowing what you know, if if I put you in a room with the program directors of both Berkeley and Columbia and you had to give them some kind of insights and advice based on what you have gotten out of your experience through the MBA, what are some of the words that you ha- would have for them? Huh. So you are to make sure I understand the question, are you talking about them focusing on their new class and yes. bringing people in? Yes, okay. them focusing on new class. So what what would you think they could do differently based on you bringing some real industry experience that you have from the MBA? You know, one of the things I, I'm encouraging everyone who is uh, willing to listen to me uh, is uh, in an MBA program, 
the focus still is on lecture-based learning more than case-based learning or industry-based learning. I would heavily encourage everyone who is in a position to influence the MBA curriculum to focus more on real practical applications of the MBA curriculum. Like it, there's no point in learning a lot about accounting if you didn't know how that accounting practices apply to a real life situation that you'll face. How would revenue recognition matter to you when you're a general manager of a business? Like apply it in real life, put people through that ringer, and that's the only way you really take that theoretical knowledge and make it practical for someone on a day-to-day basis. And these all start to make sense when people take that MBA degree and they get into a job, even basic terms start to make sense. So how do you do that on an ongoing basis during the MBA program rather than wait after the MBA program? That's one thing I would heavily encourage anyone who is designing an MBA curriculum to focus on. Yeah, no, I, I love that you say that because I keep saying that a lot. When, when whenever I get a chance to, you know, talk on shows like like this one, and when I get a chance to talk to some of the MBA staff, I mean, and and some of the case studies that we study in MBA, at least what I studied, were like so old. They were like 30, 40 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. So I mean, um, you know, why not why not bring in some more fresh stuff? Why not study a little bit more about how Airbnb did, how Uber did, or I know they are growing companies. I know they haven't cracked it off. But, you know, maybe studying about Elon Musk or maybe Amazon, you know, these are some of the companies who are moving with the modern times. I think the disconnect, I think maybe I found the disconnect a little too jarring when I finished MBA and I got into the startup space and, and the tech space. I was like, why didn't anybody ever introduce these concepts at all? I was there for one year. <laughs> right. And, and I think you have a very valid point there. Uh, I think MBA schools that are starting to like that are starting to realize this they are making the necessary changes uh, but not everybody has understood it and uh, even if they've understood it they're probably not reacting as fast going back to your point on being lean agile and learning from what your customers need in this case students need and also employers need because look i'm also in the business of hiring mbas so when i'm looking at hiring new grads uh, i'm cons- consistently looking at business schools that have trained them on the basics so I don't have to go through that same training inside of Indeed on day one. Exactly, exactly. And 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 that's the reason, you know, I ran a couple of workshops on product management for MBA students at Imperial because there, there was nothing around that at, at the moment. And to be honest, you know, people actually gave up their Saturday afternoons to come and listen to, to some product managers come and speak. So there is a lot of appetite. I think MBA schools can do a lot to, you know, capitalize on the appetite that is there for some of the latest fields that people want to learn? I think there is, uh, and product management is a discipline that will only get bigger and broader over time. Um, I mean, if everything, if every company is a software company, you will need more product managers than you ever did. So I think that will continue to happen. So I think what you are doing is very valuable. I think scaling it globally might be something you should think, start thinking about. Maybe there is a business idea for you. Uh, but I think uh, there's clearly a huge hunger and demand for it uh, from both MBA students and from uh, early stage engineering grads. I've seen that firsthand in many cases. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Raj, I know we're beyond the time. Do you have a couple of minutes more? Uh, I can probably go on for two, two, three more minutes. Yeah, that's it. No, I, I won't need more than that. Uh, I think, um, to be honest, I did cover mostly everything that I did want to go through. Actually, just the last point I had is, you know, what is one question that you wished I asked you? <laughs> you know, one question that you probably should ask me uh, is, what mistakes did I make during my MBA program? I think you did talk about what I could have done earlier, but there are a couple of mistakes I made as well. Uh, and I think Great. one mistake... Yeah, one mistake that I did and I wish I could roll back the clock and go and do this is have some more fun. And I mean it in a very true, honest way. Like, look, this is one time in your life that you're going to have a bunch of people that are just going to go out with you, have fun with you with no strings attached. And they're just you know, trying to know you and they're trying to spend time with you and have a good time themselves. And I wish I had prioritized that a bit more. 
And it is, it's sort of the, in all of this conversations, it's heavy conversation, it's about life, it's about career, it's about things that are ultimately going to determine the return on investment. But there's something much more human about it. Uh, having fun is central to believing that you're going to get value in something else, right? So uh, I, I think don't don't discount that as one of my one pieces of advice that I would share with anyone looking at going and joining an MBA today. Um, find a way to balance the fun aspect of an MBA with also the learning aspect, the networking aspect, and everything else that you will be doing in that one or two year program that you will spend a lot of time of in your life. Yeah, it's it's glad you mentioned that. I don't feel guilty anymore about having a lot of fun and going drinking almost every night. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you did well. I think that's at least at least one thing I did really well. <laughs> Look, that matters. I I am not kidding. That is a big part of getting an MBA. Uh, I, the drinking part. I am a complete teetotaler. I don't drink, but that doesn't matter whether you drink or not. Um, I I love great food, so. It doesn't matter anyway. I think uh, what matters at the end of the day is going and having some fun with people that are genuinely wanting to have fun with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, you know, some of the recent guests have had amazing insights on that. They said they had probably some of the best conversations with their classmates, you know, over over a over a pint, over a glass of wine, or or you know, traveling in and in, in the flight while they were going from place A to place B. So yeah, that that is a part of the um, uh, fun. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, visiting great places together, like enjoying, like we, we went to Shanghai in our class tour. Uh, one of our friends, the heat uh, took us all around China, like a bunch of places around China. Uh, I'd never been to the Great Wall of China. I went and visited that. So those things wouldn't have been possible without at least some level of fun that I participated in. I wish I did more of it. Uh, but certainly if I hadn't done that, um, China would have been a complete uh, unknown story to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I'm liking my own idea of, you know, having an MBA spread throughout your career <laughs> rather than a big bang uh, because I would love it. I think in this case, you would love to use that side of you. <laughs> absolutely. Look, and again, uh, I, I mean, if you ever come back with a great idea of how to disperse education throughout <laughs> someone's life, let me know because we are in the business of that, like at the core of what Indeed is doing. We're helping connect job seekers with the best opportunities that they have, right? So as part of that, learning is an important component as well. Absolutely. If there are interesting ideas you have, like, I'm absolutely happy to reconnect and have another conversation. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Avinash. Rad, this has been excellent. Thanks a lot for your time. Uh, you know, just the last point, if at all people want to know more about you and about Indeed and about you in, in, as, as, a, as, in, as a person, what's the best way to connect with you and know more about you? Uh, there, there are a bunch of contact information. I think we can probably, I can probably put together a simple slide with the contact information that you can probably share with the podcast or Christian can do it. I think that may be the easiest way to do it. Perfect. Perfect. Raj, thanks a lot for your time. I know it's it's you are in the middle of the day. It's middle of a work day. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you, Avinash. Happens to be July 4th tomorrow, so I have, the schedule is a little light today. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is true. Sorry, in, in the UK, it's, we just get lost by, you know, what happens in other places sometimes. <laughs> no, no, no worries. I think uh, you're probably the last meeting I'm taking mm. before I head off to a July 4th bash. So nice. it's all good. Perfect. All right, right, Rods. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The MBA Jam. Now it's time for you to take action. Head over to TheMBAJam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources.